Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten Podcast. And joining me today is everybody's favorite, Parker Lewis from Unchained Capital, who joins me and Lauren to talk about, oh, like what's going on? What is going on in Canada? And what is up with this financial system? How can it end? When will it end? How does Bitcoin fix this? What's going on in the oil and gas industry? What are ESGs? How does Bitcoin fix that? How does Bitcoin fix everything? Why does Parker meditate? So much more that we actually had to uh, cut this one short because he had a, a meeting to run off to. So we're going to do another one in a few weeks where we're going to go and uh, ask Parker, how how can we pitch like Parker? That's going to be the uh, the title of the next episode. So look out for that one. Before we get into it, make sure you can get to the conference if you can. Parker is going to be there. He's a confirmed speaker. He doesn't know what he's going to talk about yet. So the pressure's on. But uh, it's April 6th to 9th in Miami, if you didn't know already. Day one is going to be Industry Day. Day two and three are going to be all of the talks from people like Parker, as well as Nayib Bukele and Michael Saylor, Elizabeth Stark, Jack Mallers, Adam Back, and many more. Day four is going to be Sound Money Fest. That is going to be headlined by the rapper and fellow Bitcoiner Logic. You're going to be able to see Steve Aoki, CL, Run the Jewels, San Holo, Dead Mouse, not Dead Mal 5, sorry guys, and many more. Last year's conference sold out. Make sure you get your tickets this year if you can. Strong caveat for all you Euro plebs, just please make sure you can travel before you commit to buying the tickets. If you do buy the tickets, you will be able to sell them in the uh, after sales market, or you'll get a full refund if you cannot travel due to COVID regulations. That said, please stack sats if you're not. You can do that with Swan Bitcoin in the US. You can also do it with Relay across Europe, R-E-L-A-I dot C-H forward slash Bitten. And you can do it with Bitcoin Reserve as well, also across Europe and the UK. They are brilliant companies to start stacking with. If you want an exchange experience, you can head over to coincorner.com. They will accept your euros and pounds as dirty fiat and exchange that into Bitcoins for you. Uh, but please make sure you take control. Again, guys, get control of your coins. Look what's going on in Canada. This is crazy. You have to be in control of this shit. And you can do that by getting a Bitcoin wallet. You can head over to shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten. The links are in the show notes for all of these companies that I've just mentioned. You will get a 5% discount of the Bitbox O2 hardware wallet if you head over to Shift Crypto. As Parker will make this plainly clear to you, this is what we're here for. Don't take any more chances. Get control of your coins. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. If you're streaming sats via Fountain App or Breeze Wallet, I really appreciate it. Thank you for liking, subscribing, rating, reviewing, banter on Twitter, whatever it is you do. I hope to be able to meet you all one day in person. Let's hope the madness ends soon. Enjoy this one with Parker.
All right, we're here with um, Mayor Lewis, Lauren. Hi. <laughs> and- Hi, Daniel. Hi, Lauren. I'm going to line you up for this one, Parker, because it was such a great answer pre-record. We've had a bit of a rigmarole getting this together. Uh, do I have a hard stop? Uh, you have a hard stop, but at the end, after the first set of questions, uh, Lauren can come back and ask me as many questions <laughs> as she wants. Uh, there's no hard stop ever for, for Lauren. <laughs> there you go. I love it. Excellent. All right. Well, Lauren, it's uh, the, the floor is yours. What, yeah, what, what do you want uh, to ask Parker today? So my first question is, um, what is... Hang on. Into the mic. Into I'm the mic. I'm trying my best, but my throat is not the... Yeah, she, it, she it had sound, a little sore voice. Crazy. Yeah, right. Um, what is fractional reservative banking? <laughs> I had to read that out. I couldn't say it. So... Fractional reserve banking um, just means that the bank doesn't actually have your money. Um, and so if you think about the bank being in your money, or sorry, your money being in the bank, um, what the bank actually does is lend it, lend it out. And so say if somebody took um, you know, a thousand pounds and put it in a the bank, there might only be a hundred pounds uh, such that if everybody went and came to try to get their money back, uh, only one out of every 10 people would be able to do that. So the bank is holding a fraction uh, of the money that was deposited to it. And that is what people refer to as fractional reserve banking. All right. Does that sound fair? No. <laughs> see, even an 11 year old can see through that. Well, I know it's... what fair means. A lot of people don't. Mm-hmm. That is also true. Yeah, I would not. Uh, I would not bank uh, with anybody that's fractionally reserving, and the only way to do that is via Bitcoin. All right. Okay. Any other questions? Um, mm, I don't know if I asked you this one last time, but uh, my second question is: uh, Why do you like Bitcoin? Well, I would say that Bitcoin is important because it provides everybody the ability to uh, store the value that they create in the world uh, and contribute to others and, and to go to work and produce things and then, and then store the output of that labor in a form of money uh, that no government can print or that, that nobody can print, period, uh, and that everybody benefits from a form of money uh, that um, when they get compensated and it doesn't lose its value over time. And that that is ultimately the problem that Bitcoin solves. Um, I like it for selfish reasons that I get to benefit from that just as much as everybody else does, but that also um, that, that a lot of us think that it's important to uh, share that secret with the world. All right. Okay. And you're part of sharing that secret because you do these shows and you ask these questions. Oh, yeah. One day, the importance of your role here will, will, will dawn on you. <laughs> I was going here for the questions and the answers. That's all we're over here for, just the questions and the answers. There's nothing more important. All right. Any other questions? No. Okay. Well, uh, I, I feel Parker's got off a little lightly, but if you, <laughs> if you do come across any other questions out there in, in your mind or epiphanies, you can come back anytime. All right.
Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Do you want to say good night? Yeah. See you. Good night. All right. Good night. Good to see you again. Come back in if you got any other questions. Uh, Daddy, give me your wine. Oh yes, of course. You can't let mommy drink all that red wine. Yeah. Mate, it's great to see you. Thank you. Um, thank you for taking the time to uh, to come on. God damn it. I've just been making like a quick list of, of what we could talk about. It, it seems to be endless with what's going on right now. Um, but you coming from the financial background, I think it would be a, a good idea to, to start with what's going on in Canada, this, this emergency rule that uh, has been put in place by, you know, Trudeau and, and, and his government and what that means, not just for Bitcoiners, but for people who might be tuning in, who might be new to the show, what it means to them to have this threat hanging over them that they could seize your bank account and everything that's in it and other assets as well, possibly, just if you have even sent in a $10 donation to you know the Freedom Convoy or the truckers. So let's... Um, thank you. Let, let's, let's start there. Like, you know, this is... This can't be understated. What's going on? First, it might you know the, the right place to start might just be that we'll talk about kind of what's happening in the financial system, mm -hmm. um, but but that also I think it'd be remiss not to say that um, that if you let it get this far, which this has been a two-year creep of um, people going along to get along and allowing civil liberties. To, to go away with it, that this is a logical end game. Uh, and then the symptoms of that start to be exposed in, in more acute ways uh, at, at the longer that we get down this path. Uh, and that it's actually, in my view, it's critical to push back far sooner um, because once it gets to this point, then a tyrannical government can much more effectively um, put their foot on the throat of people that have political differences and whose rights are being infringed. Um, and then what we saw, um, you know, kind of after, um, there were, there were a few different instances, but so GoFund, you know, there were approximately, I think 10 and a half million, I'm not sure if it's Canadian dollars, but 10 and a half million Canadian dollars, 10 and a half million dollars were contributed via GoFundMe. Uh, those accounts were frozen, um, or sorry, the, the, the funds were frozen, so they couldn't then actually deposit those funds on. Uh, then there was an alternative, I'm not familiar with the platform, but Give, Send, Go. Um, the, um, you know, in the first case, GoFundMe actually stopped the, the funding, and then uh, people moved over to, to Give, Send, Go, uh, and then the state, I believe, uh, acted to force Give, Send, Go to, to essentially shut down and, and not then disperse those funds. Uh, what all of it showed was that if somebody has an, a political opinion that the government doesn't like, um, that they can not only, you know, via companies like Twitter, censor your voice, but they can literally cut you off from your lifeblood, which is your money, which even in a world of fractional reserve banking is, is the literal output of value, the net value that you've uh, contributed to others that you have not yet consumed from others, and and that um, that that is that that in my world that is your private property. So long as that it's at a bank or a financial institution, it is not. If you read the bank agreement, it is theirs, uh, and that that is not the only problem, but that is a key problem. Um, 
and and that what that makes you subject to in, in the case of all of these people in Canada, and then it's gotten even worse. But but on the first order effect, uh, open to censorship. And historically, it was more one offs and two offs, where someone would say, "Oh, that person's a radical," and they they likely weren't. But um, that that you know they either get censored on a, a social media platform, or there were instances where people would have their bank accounts closed. Um, but having a bank account closed, you know, is, is one form of censorship. And oftentimes when the banks send these notices, they say, we're shutting your bank account down and uh, you have to move your funds off and we can't explain why, but we're doing it. Um, and, and that those started happening and became normalized, but that what we saw with Canada uh, and this GoFundMe, Give, Send, Go, um, where, where they just seized funds, um, was that it was a wide group of people um, that were impacted all at the same time. And then they started going after people that donated. They started tracing it back. Um, and, and all of this just demonstrated exactly uh, a, a core problem that Bitcoin solves. We have a problem with money and Bitcoin solves that, but that given how Bitcoin works itself, uh, that you can own it in an uncensorable and unseizable way. Uh, and that what, what a lot of the world is seeing is not just censorship, uh, but that people can be cut off from their literal money. Uh, and many people and many people chase down just because they don't have the right political opinion or because they support the wrong people. Um, and, and Bitcoin, what it ultimately offers, and there was Bitcoin that was donated, but it was donated via uh, certain platforms, um, that the that people are going after those people too, and there was a people, there was a, a group of people, not sure 100 who they were, but they were receiving the funds and then they were helping disperse those. Well, then they become um, you know somebody that the, the state tries to attack. Um, and while they were trying to do good, um, that they weren't sending Bitcoin directly to people that then could use that uh, and not have it be seized. Um, and there was a central source and then a central source is censorable. And what Bitcoin shows is that, you know, the whole reason why it works, the whole value in Bitcoin derives from the fact that there will only ever be 21 million, uh, but it is only uncensorable at a network level and it is only uncensorable at an individual level um, if, if people are controlling their own keys um, or operating in some what's referred to as a non-custodial wallet, whether that be a non-custodial lightning wallet or a non-custodial uh, Bitcoin wallet. So um, yeah, it's been, you know, I think, unfortunate, um, predictable, and, and the world is shining a bright light um, in, in, in terms of, of not just tyranny, but, of, but of, uh, of why Bitcoin exists and, and that this is um, such a valuable and viable medium. We couldn't have asked for this kind of publicity, could we, really? It's unbelievable. Well, China banning Bitcoin mining, you know, that, that was great publicity. There, there is a saying in Bitcoin, and it's probably, um, well, I, I would say it, it hasn't been said enough recently, but that it is everything is good for Bitcoin. Um, that, that every time that some crook gets up and says we shouldn't allow citizens to have Bitcoin, every time a communist regime um, tries to ban Bitcoin or you know, even the, even Russia, another communist country where they talk about how they're going to, it's going to be quote legal, but like you have to have it with, you know, regulated institutions. Um, anytime someone does something related to Bitcoin, positive or quote negative, 
um, in terms of trying to attack it, everything is always good for Bitcoin. That more people learn about it, this thing wouldn't be around 13 years later uh, and, and working better than any other financial system in the world um, for the people that are saving money in it. Um, uh, if, uh, if all of these outside forces weren't trying to do something to limit people's access to it. And that as people understand that one, it is viable, that the signal that's being sent is that if the government's trying to limit my access to this thing, I should probably want to know more about whatever that thing is. Um, and, and, and so I think that that is the, that is the big takeaway. Were you aware that the, um, the deputy um, uh, prime minister, uh, Christia Freeland, this lady that um, stood up there in front of Trudeau and delivered the message that she sits on the board of trustees of the WEF? Well, I have a very low opinion of the WEF, the World Economic Forum. Um, I have quite a bit of disdain for, um, you know, the, everybody in Canada that's that's brought it to this point uh, and then is carrying out kind of uh, what we've seen in the last week. But um, it doesn't surprise me. I did see that Klaus Schwab video where um, they talked about penetrating the cabinets and he was actually in Canada at the time as this is all is going on and and talked about how half of the Canadian Canada are World Economic Forum uh, members and in quote young leaders. But what they what they really are are young people that have been propagandized and are now propagandists. And um, that if you ever pay attention to anything that comes out of the World Economic Forum, you will you will see and understand um, it's not a globalist view. I would say it's an elitist view, and that they um, that that their worldview and their vision for the future is not one that aligns uh, with people that value individual liberties. And and so I, I'm not surprised at all that I wasn't I didn't see that that deputy. Um, Prime Minister was a World Economic Forum person, but everyone should be paying attention to, to what the World Economic Forum stands for because uh, it's not good for, for people. And today, Coinbase were announced as being a partner of the World Economic Forum. Coinbase? Yes. It's Coinbase, the World Economic Forum, a, a match made in heaven. It's um, unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, that is one thing that that uh, you know I think ha has has also not been said enough, which is get your coins off Coinbase. There's a saying that that uh, don't hold your your Bitcoin on an exchange, but particularly Coinbase, it is uh, it is a dumpster fire. Um, if you know, like I, I think maybe the 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 worst company in the world might be Facebook. Uh, but, uh, you know, Coinbase might not be second. It might be another social media platform, but um, Coinbase does not, uh, is not in the interest of delivering value to Bitcoin holders. They're not in the interest of building technology um, that promotes the long-term adoption of Bitcoin and um, that they show themselves of those colors all the time. Um, and, and that ultimately what Coinbase is, is a, a penny stock casino for drunk day traders and gambling addicts um, that they're not actually working on, on Bitcoin, uh, truthfully. There might have been a day where Coinbase did some good and a lot of people might have gotten their first, um, their first Bitcoin through Coinbase, but um, that place has been functionally obsoleted. 
and and, and there are superior uh, exchanges I, that if you were going to use a Coinbase, you know, you should certainly use something like River or Swan. Um, but but that ultimately, yeah, I'm not surprised that uh, Coinbase is a member of the World Economic Forum. Like total total joke, you know. So put put them next to like Goldman Sachs. I'd imagine Goldman Sachs is probably also a member of uh, the World Economic Forum, and you know that institution itself is about as crooked as it gets. Yeah, it totally is. And so I did a little looking around, and to to become a partner of the WEF, it's going to cost you anywhere between. So they must have different tiers, obviously, of how close a partner you want to be. Anywhere between sixty to six hundred thousand Swiss francs is what it was quoted in. Uh, and that doesn't even buy you a ticket to Davos. If you want a ticket to Davos, you have to. There's another whole amount of money to pay for that. This is the kind of level of nonsense that we're dealing with with this institution. If you even want to call it that, I don't even know what to call it. It's, it's like Spectre on crack. Yeah, I mean, like I think that the, on the bright side, um, the if you hold Bitcoin. Now there are, it doesn't mean you can just look away and that all the other problems in the world magically fade away, but that a lot of the power that these institutions or whatever you might call them get is because they uh, control not only the, the wealth, but the financial systems and that, you know, Bitcoin solves for both of those problems. And so like when a lot of this stuff kind of starts happening, um, it is that, that people do have an alternative and that, um, People can vote with their with their wallet and their value, and that um, and that the more the more people that kind of have an issue with kind of some of the agendas that are being pushed or the pol politics I wouldn't even say it politics but the infringement of rights that are happening um, that the only way to really fix that is to defund the people that are using um, a kind of centralized and ultimately coercive financial system against the people that are utilizing it and it dawned on to me it dawned on me today uh, and i tweeted it out that you know bitcoin is the one true wef and that would be world economic freedom um yes agree and the more people we can get into this wef the better the world will be yeah, I might, I might, uh, you know, use a different acronym just so that there's no, no, no association. We, you know, we, we are on the, we are on the right side of history, and we, we should probably distance ourselves rather than using their abbreviations. Well, it's, it's even, it's even better because it's, you know, it's few spelt backwards for the purists. Oh, that's, you know. Uh, happy coincidence <laughs> all right let's talk about what's going on in the financial system with regards to you know i spent 18 years in the uh the foreign exchange markets you were in the hedge fund side so we sat on the, in the either side you know, the buy or the sell side whatever you want to call it but in my day if something like this was announced uh about uh the emergency rule that had been uh, announced in canada by now, you would have trickle-down effects into the foreign exchange market where certain banks would be refusing Canadian bank counterparty names, especially in the short dates. 
Like there's no way they would want that risk because of the potential of a bank run and one of these banks going under. I've done a little bit of, you know, reaching out to the, the community that I, I used to um, work in. There's nothing. And I don't know whether you're hearing anything on side because obviously, you know, on, on the hedge fund side of things as well, you, you're very concerned with counterparty risk uh, in, in that world. You don't want to be on the wrong side of a, tra- of a trade, you know, holding like the Lehman name, for example, back in 2008 was a complete disaster. Yet here we have, even just yesterday, like the, 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 the Canadian banks were, they were out for hours on end, like completely shut down. But that's not seemingly reached like main, main Street yet. And in fact, today I'm seeing the complete opposite where Morgan Stanley have come out and said they're buying, they're upping their ante and buying more stake of um, CIBC, which makes no sense. And the same day, the CIBC have got to settle 125 million, I think it is, uh, or was it 1.25 billion? I can't remember. Just ridiculous amount for you know um, discrepancies back in 2007, 2008 for misrepresenting certain products to to clients. Nothing makes sense, Parker. Zero. Well, I think you have to make sense of the fact that that ever virtually everyone's asleep, right? Mm-hmm. And then the question is what um, what causes people to wake up? And you know, people do wake up, but the percentage of people that are asleep at the wheel um, are far greater than the, the people that are outside the matrix and seeing things clearly. Um, and so I think that most of those things are explained by just that, that, um, you know, while censorship is something that's top of our mind in the Canadian financial system. And we, we live in an echo chamber, albeit the best echo chamber, um, that all of these things are, are realistically memory hold, right? Like, you know, media is centralized, media in many ways are, are propagandists, as we've seen. And um, most people probably have no idea of what's going on in Canada. You know, the, the trucker convoy or the, you know, the way it's been dealt with since including the financial repression um, or financial censorship and weaponization of the financial system. So I think that, you know, for most people, they're just out of sight, out of mind. Now, I think that part of that too then extends into it's like, yeah, you would think that you know every every risk asset in Canada, based on what has just happened, is uh, is impaired from a counterparty risk standpoint. But if you get into the psychology of uh, of a lot of these people that are used to, you know, operating in an insolvent financial system, um, practically speaking, like virtually every bank would have, uh, would have filed if the government had printed trillions of dollars in the U S and all all central banks all over the world or central bank rather than government, but um, quasi governmental that, um, that they expect bailouts and that what they're likely doing is, um, is, they're looking at the trucker for protests or convoy for anybody that's actually paying attention saying, Oh yeah, those are like alt-right people that are donating shit. Like I'm a hedge fund, you know, and this is a bank. It, it's not going to happen to me, you know? And, and they're, they're just diagnosing 
the individual circumstance. They're not going back to the principal to say, oh, this can happen. It can happen easily. Certainly they might not censor me because my view on trucker convoys and um, on vaccine mandates, but like, it's probably not going to be that. You know, so so I would say, like on the institution side, that they're they're not reading through the connection between what's happening um, to the trucker convoy to them trading financial assets. So they're not worried about banks. Uh, and I do think it is, you know, it, it is certainly different than what happened in Lehman Brothers, where like there was a bank run because Lehman Brothers was, um, you know, the weakest of a weak lot, uh, and people ran. From, from that one in particular, but because it's the banking system, they literally can't get out of the banking system. They're just going, you know, you know, in the case of Lehman Brothers, they were running from Lehman, not realizing that that was creating a run on the entire banking system and was just creating a hot potato where uh, the weakest banks were being exposed uh, one after the other. And so, uh, you know, something like that will likely happen in the future, but the, uh, the trigger point might be different or maybe, you know, it's a derivative of what's happening now because the economic system in Canada will likely collapse. Um, but, but I don't think there's going to be a direct first order kind of effect on financial institutions because I think just none of them see any you know reason to do anything differently based on what's happening, kind of uh, based on their worldview. They probably are thinking that as good. And that's how perverse it all is. You know, they're, 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 they're not thinking about the people on the ground, whether they're part of the Freedom Convoy or not, but people, families that have seen this announcement and just thought to themselves, shit, we better get some money out of the bank. They're not given any kind of thought to like, be, they just don't, right? They, they, they don't think about like that, that root, that, uh, that, that base of people, like yeah, the depositors. They don't care. Oh, no. You know, there's guys like, you know, a guy like Joe Weisenthal at uh, Bloomberg will like describe people like, why should people get paid interest without taking risk? You know, and it completely <laughs> ignores the fact that like the risk has already been taken 10 times over uh, and they're still not getting paid anything for taking massive amounts of risk. Um, but yeah, I, I think that part of it is that the relationship dynamic of a banking system it became so commoditized that that everybody forgot what that that the people that deposited money with a bank were, were their first and most important clients, um, and that there is a lot of moral hazard where the bank is a, a profit center, and they really don't care about the clients. But the clients really, if they all started taking their money out, you know, then everyone figures out that. Um, the people that are extracting value on the top without passing that down uh, because more and more of the underlying units of currency get created, um, that, that the depositors of a bank are in most control. Um, but because bailouts always happen, that create, you know, follow the incentives. Um, and so, you know, kind of, I think it's a true statement. I think it's a symptom of, you know, a long decay of the legacy financial system. And that as we move into Bitcoin, uh, he who controls the keys or he or she who controls the keys makes the rules and that that will align incentives between um, any financial intermediary uh, because that alternative exists. 
So you've mentioned bailout a few times here, and uh, I think everybody's kind of familiar with with what happens there. Basically, if there is a bank run and the bank goes under or it goes very close to getting under, they can just hit the panic button and go to the government or go to uh, what it, whichever jurisdiction you're in and just say, we're in trouble, we need some emergency funds, and they get the emergency funds and they just carry on the whole freaking song and dance. Uh, now, bail-ins, on the other hand, are a different animal. Uh, and I can't help looking at Canada and, and thinking to myself, is this some kind of roundabout sneaky bail-in that they're pulling here at the same time? Did you want to kind of walk that dog and, and flesh and, that and out? When we're talking bail-in, are we talking about just social socialization of losses? I've always like, I don't know, the bailout's an obvious concept to me. I've always heard the bail-in concept and thought that that was what it meant, but so uh, the way I understand it, and this is in um, Canadian, uh, it has been written into Canadian law, the, the, the bail-in, which is what happened in uh, Cyprus and Greece, like you wake up one morning and anything over, let's say, you know, pick a number, anything over $50,000 that you had in a bank account is now the bank's and that gets converted to like stock at a ridiculously low rate that you can will vest for you in like three to five years or something like that. Basically, the bail so basically is, it's like a, a bail out, but it's just paid for by, by the depositors. By the depositors. Yes. Okay. And this rule is in place in Australia as well. Okay. Yeah. That that is, you know, that's happened, obviously any number of times, so long as you're part of a, um, a financial institution. And, and I think it's important to recognize that all financial institutions today, um, and I'm, I'll speak to the US, but presume it is, everyth everything is so centralized that, um, that the, the monetary, the monetary capital is captive in the banking system, and that was not always the case. That the actual severing from um, reserve backings in the form of commodity monies like gold allowed the bank to essentially have the the um, the monopoly on the monetary capital. And what that ultimately means is they are in control of everything. Doesn't matter what bank it is in the United States, the central bank controls them. Um, because they control their access to every other bank um, effectively if they're if they're using if they're wanting to use the Fedwire. And so the consequence of that is that that if there are problems with any bank, um, that the the centralization uh, and, and what 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 it ultimately means is there's not enough, enough free market competition in that system because it's been entirely co-opted in my my view um, that, that they could, that banks, central banks have the ability to affect what you just described, a bail-in. But, but it's only v, it is only a, a symptom of centralization, that it can only exist because the systems have become so centralized. And what that should really help people see is why a decentralized alternative um, in Bitcoin is uh, so much superior that uh, rather than there being a centralizing force in all legacy monetary systems, uh, Bitcoin is constantly decentralizing. And as it's decentralizing, it's not only increasing an in absolute security of the system, but it actually creates greater and greater security for each individual as well. 
and it has this amazing effect right and, and you know from an outsider looking in at the states you know i look across the pond and i see every day well not every day every week there's a new state or a new city talking about either making bitcoin legal tender in the case of uh, arizona colorado just as recently talking about um being able to uh, accept uh, tax payments in in bitcoin i think they use the word crypto but i don't want to say that i want to say bitcoin um what's going on are we are we seeing the decentralization of the united states are we seeing the balkanization that we've been talking about in the space for you know a, a long time now um i don't i don't know if you would call i mean the, the united states is still very centralized right um and so i think that inherent to bitcoin is this i is this idea of decentralization but it's not just an idea that uh the longer that that, that bitcoin um has existed in the world the more people that, that adopt it the more decentralized the holding of the currency becomes and because there is no point of centralization that ultimately puts more and more people actually in control of uh, of wealth and that when you have that decentralization of wealth and economic share you are naturally going to get more competition and that what i think we're seeing in the united states is it was designed to be a republic and i and while that might in many ways um, have been compromised over um, the last 50 years via you know an expanding central government uh, that that is the core of the idea is that uh, competition is good and that each state is actually sovereign and that there uh, is a constitution that holds them all together um, or, or, or a core set of agreed upon rules and that um, by design that it was you know kind of the system was designed to have uh, different states be able to put forward different ideas and then people in those states get to respond to incentives and and that i think that we will only continue to see that expand because uh because at a root level there is an economic incentive to be very friendly to uh to bitcoin holders um, because um, bitcoin is the best form of money more people are going to figure that out over time and the best way to ensure um a uh, a a good place to live and a free place to live and the best way to get bitcoin is to attract people that hold bitcoin uh earning it is actually harder um and and that what we're seeing here in the united states is people responding to incentives people are leaving in droves uh california New York, Chicago, um, for people that actually respect liberty, um, and that the, the, that the people who are left behind that are causing those actions, uh, they don't like that um, because they they've been running things their way, and people are flat out rejecting it. And um, and, and so whether it's you know Arizona or Ohio changing you know laws, to, I don't know if both have made Bitcoin legal tender, but at least laws have been put forward one or the other um you know the governors in the state of texas are const are, are currently trying to um out bitcoin each other um and so people are finding that signal and that as bitcoin expands uh which uh, in terms of a knowledge base and and adoption which just happens as a function of time 
people do not unsee Bitcoin. Only more people actually learn about it and see it. And, and, and that likely, you know, that, that just accelerates based on network effects as well. Uh, and as that happens, we'll just see more and more of it. So I wouldn't necessarily call it balkanization. I would get it, you know, in the United States, I'd say it's getting back to more of, uh, of what we were founded on, uh, mm-hmm. which is um, a, a group of states um, that are, are bonded together, but have uh, the majority of, of the power. And that hasn't been the case, but that is what we'll restore it back to, in my view, because of Bitcoin. And on the ground in Texas, I know it's, um, am I pronouncing this right? Oshi app or Ushi app or you've got going on around there on the restaurants? Um, there's really too much, too many Bitcoin startups here to uh, be a hundred percent certain which one you're talking about. Okay. Um, more, think- more pop up every day. No, I'm kidding. It's Oshi. It's Oshi, uh, right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> But, but there are a lot of Bitcoin startups in Austin, so it's easy. But they're all Bitcoin, right? That, that's good. They are well, all Bitcoin. I, I'm saying every, every you know, I could go find some deep, dark, you know, unfavorable corner of any city. Like there is some idiot in the city of Austin uh, trying to print his own money and pitching people a narrative. But um, no, Austin is a is a burgeoning Bitcoin citadel. More Bitcoiners are... Uh, getting off the boat every day and uh, there's strength in numbers. So, but, but yeah, Oshi is one of the, the companies that's here. Their um, founder is a guy named Michael Atwood. Um, I believe moved from California down here because uh, this was a better place to start a Bitcoin business or at least grow a Bitcoin business. And uh, it, it's basically helping small businesses get connected in to be able to receive Bitcoin payments and also create uh, incentives uh, if for people paying in Bitcoin. And I've got to give a shout out to our man, modern T-man, uh, Texas Slim, who uh, has been on the show as well. And he started the Texas Beef Initiative and is trying to connect everybody to their local ranchers and then connect all the local ranchers to the local restaurants that are you know willing to use bitcoin and accept bitcoin from their customers and use bitcoin to buy their uh, produce it seems like you guys have got this amazing circular economy all like it, it feels as though that 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 time is ripe and that this place is where it's going to happen yeah i do i do believe that the stars uh, are aligned um and uh it's one of those things where I, where I, I literally think it might just be in the water uh, that the that the people that, that, that the more people that understand the history of Texas, um, they understand that the people that came here came a long way, uh, and that they were they were they're essentially the founding of this state was by people that not only um, were were part of the founding wave of the United States, but then they went further west. They went r- literally to the last frontier, uh, and they did so under harsh conditions and in. Well, let, let, let's talk about that. You know, it, school me. Like, you, you, like we, we Euro plebs, we we don't really we're not taught this kind of stuff. So, like, the, yeah, the history of Texas that would be you know fascinating to learn. Well, so um, not not all of the uh, well. So maybe let me go back. Okay, so I'll just give you the high notes. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm not, I'm not a history professor, but there is a great book. There is a great book that I would highly recommend everyone one read, which is uh, basically the de facto history of the state of Texas. It's called uh, Lone Star, the history of Texas and the Texans by T.R. Fehrenbach. Um, but, but kind of describing some of the founding fathers and founding people and settlers, 
in the state of Texas, um, that there were the colonies up in the Northeast and that there were people that had gone out and left the colonies, crossed over the Appalachians and settled Tennessee and Kentucky. Um, and those people, if you kind of can think about the, the nature of those people, um, they, had, they had come all the way over to, to in search of a better life. And then as things started getting normalized there, they wanted to go further west and, and, and you know, basically be free. The, the people that, you know, it's not to say just be free, but it was like on the margin, the people that would rather be out kind of on their own than, um, than, than in, a, in a colonized city. Uh, but then as, that, as, as they kind of settled that territory and then more people started coming to, to Tennessee, then a lot of the people in Tennessee then went and settled Texas. And, and there were people, I believe, from Alabama too. There's obviously people from all over the place, but that the founding fathers of Texas, Sam Houston, um, one of the, the key ones, maybe the, the most important founding father of the state of Texas, he was actually a senator from the state of Tennessee. Um, I believe he was also a general in the U.S. Army. Um, and then ultimately he was the general of the state of Texas in the uh, or not save Texas, but in the fight for independence, Texas was independent for 10 years. And then, uh, uh, and Sam Houston was the president of the state of Texas, I think twice. So he was Senator from Tennessee. He was a general in the U S army. He was uh, general of the Texas militia in the fight for independence. And then he was the president of the state of Texas while it was independent before it joined the United States. Um, but just thinking about that idea of the people who founded this and then the people who continue to come because it was here from the very beginning were people that went into very harsh country after having done that already in Tennessee um, and essentially did it twice, filtered themselves twice. And that as a state, it is a state that, that very much does value freedom and individual liberties. And, um, you know, this, as, as soon as, uh, after we got through two weeks to flatten the curve here, everyone was done with it, you know, and that we didn't let it get to that point. Um, and I think that that is something that is a symptom of why people, um, why this place is the way that it is, uh, because that very much is not just part of the history, but it's part of the people. And that, when we think about the relationship to Bitcoin is when, with all the things going on in the world, when people look around, um, they figure out that there aren't that many choices. Uh, and that because we have a, 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 a you know, really large and growing Bitcoin community here, um, that, that not only for people that want to work and contribute on Bitcoin, but just people that want to have uh, a, a life where their government doesn't continually screw them over, um, that many of them find it here. And what you were talking about with Texas Slim, like um, a couple of weeks ago, we came through the office, uh, he and Cole from KNC Cattle, um, which is a local Texas, uh, local Austin ranch, I should say, it's actually in the city limits, um, that they came by and recorded a podcast with, with Marty Bent, um, whose studio is in our new Bitcoin Commons, that's adjacent to Unchained Capital. And, uh, and then later that night, uh, we all went over to Cooper's, which is where we go after BitDevs, and Cole and uh, modern T-Man, Texas Slim, um, uh, gave a talk and talk about regenerative farming, but ultimately getting uh, Cole and his operation plugged in to the Bitcoin community so that 
so that the Bitcoin community can not only learn about what he was doing, um, but, but figure out how to help. And uh, Cole and KNC Cattle are accepting Bitcoin for, you know, direct from the farm. And that, you know, it's, it, it is a microcosm of the type of things that happen when you put a bunch of Bitcoiners together. And, um, and, and so the work that they're doing is, is really important, um, but that we're going to be going out uh, and, and uh, from an education standpoint, I'm going to support them as much as I can, but they're going to be going out really. They are going to be going out helping, um, you know, both communicate to, you know, ranchers and people that are providing a very critical function, uh, education about Bitcoin. And then those people uh, are going to do it right back, which are going to be sharing um, kind of their, their learnings and understandings of uh, how to deliver, you know, a more sustainable, uh, and when I mean sustainable, I mean, you know, from a redundancy perspective, that is not as, uh, as at risk of supply chains. Um, and so, um, you know, there's the, there's the tech hub that's, that's happening here in Austin. There's a lot of uh, startups in the Bitcoin space that are, are getting going, um, but there's just a big community and everyone's just trying to figure out better ways to, to build things that are needed. And that, that when you get to a critical mass of people doing that, that a lot of good things start to happen um, that you wouldn't otherwise have forecasted. And I think, you know, Texas Slim coming out, you know, of nowhere um, to, to help uh, decentralize the food supply, but ultimately connect different parts of, a, of an economic system together directly, which is really what Bitcoin does. It, it disintermediates the financial system, like where People in the economy can go directly to a farmer, like I did, you know, two weeks ago, and bought stakes on the Lightning Network. Right, like that is the point. We can communicate directly, and that the more kind of disintermediation, and the more redundancy that we can build, um, the better off we are. And so, the, yeah, there there are a lot of things good going on here uh, in in the city of Austin, um, but it also is just because um, I think that the, the culture here is what would naturally allow it to, to be that way. Yeah, it's beautiful to hear uh, that, that we're so much further behind the uh, the eight ball to, um, you know, this side of the pond, I would say, yes, I've met my local rancher. Yes, I've bought two packs off him, um, looked him in the eye, shook his hand, doing all the, the, the things, you know, Texas Slim talks about but I just can't get him to even consider Bitcoin yet. We, we, we've got lots of work to do on, on this side of the pond, uh, but we'll do it. But what's what's more interesting as well is, um, you know, where you guys are based, like um, it's oil country. And I know you are doing a lot of work with the, the generational families there that are pumping the oil, drilling the oil, what, you know, excuse the... Um, uh, if I'm using the wrong words here, but there was a big announcement this week. Um, Conoco, right? They come out and said um, that they're going to start or, ha or are mining Bitcoin. Do you have any further information on that? So only only what I saw in the news, um, but that my understanding of it is that ConocoPhillips is um, working on Bitcoin mining pilots specific to uh, flare mitigation. So when... Um, when wells produce oil and a byproduct of natural gas, but they, but the natural gas is not economic to get to, to market, they will just burn it into the air, which produces a lot of methane. And there's a lot of people concerned about that. And so, um, there are, re uh, regulations to either curtail that, 
operation of flaring gas and, and my understand, you know, kind of um, either just cur curtailing it or otherwise paying for, you know, certain fines above it. Um, and Bitcoin mining provides a, a way to capture that natural gas on the, the wellhead and, and then, um, you know, convert it to, to, to power and electricity and mine Bitcoin. Uh, and the emissions are far lower with that. So my understanding is ConocoPhillips's pilot is uh, related to flare mitigation. And, uh, and I believe it's actually in the Bakken, which um, I'm more familiar with the, the geography of the state of Texas when it comes uh, to, to oil fields, but I believe it's South Dakota um, is where, where that site is. But I am doing uh, a lot of work uh, in and around Houston. We run the, or help coordinate with Owls Across the uh, Houston Bitcoin meetup. And because that city is the energy capital of the world, there's just a lot of people that are starting to become interested in Bitcoin and particularly Bitcoin mining. And it's actually the Bitcoin mining process that helps them understand Bitcoin um, because they see that how much it, it costs to produce the proof of work it costs to produce a, a Bitcoin. Uh, and that helps them understand that there is tangible value securing it. And so we are seeing more and more engagement from the oil, oil and gas, but also power. One of the things that I've learned as I've started to get into this is that is that the, the, the world of power and the world of oil and gas are, are, are two, two different animals, but they are both starting to really figure out that, um, that Bitcoin is a thing. Um, it, is, it is going to be around and it is very consequential to their businesses. Um, and I'm not saying that, that that is nine out of 10, but what I'm saying is that more mainstream businesses that don't formally have any interest in Bitcoin are starting to figure it out, and it's not just one. Um, that that uh, when you can see uh, a critical mass start to, to form, or at least a groundswell of um, a large number of people that are looking at this and not thinking that it's crazy, and that there is a way for Bitcoin, the 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 currency, the monetary system, however you want to think about it, to help their businesses. Um, that they're going to act out of cold, hard economic incentives. And so um, we do spend a lot of Houston, in, in, you know, for that reason, I think about it similarly of, you know, to, to me, there's probably three most important goods uh, or maybe four, uh, money, food, energy, and water. Um, everything else requires those as inputs. Um, and so, you know, kind of helping to educate the energy industry on Bitcoin that, that I think about it, and it's probably a little bit um, naive, but I think about it as uh, money, money is just a tool to help people trade and transfer value. But if we don't have energy pumping out of the ground, if we don't have oil pumping out of the ground, if we don't have natural gas pumping out of the ground and then being taken to market and refined um, or taken downstream and um, turned into power, um, that we got real problems. And so helping the energy industry particularly understand Bitcoin, it's like we want the guys that, that have the skill set to get oil out of the ground and to get natural gas uh, to market, that those people have Bitcoin and get Bitcoin such that, you know, when, if, however, however you want to say it, when the shit hits the fan, uh, that the, the people that are, that are um, really solving a critical problem um, on the, on the energy side, which most people just, you know, wake up and power. And, you know, if it's a little bit hotter than they like, they get really discomfortable, but they don't appreciate the complexity of you know, oil and gas exploration 
and power production and the nature of power grids. But it's a good thing that, that Bitcoin exists and it's a good thing that the energy industry broadly is starting to figure out Bitcoin because that I think will drive a, uh, an energy renaissance, but it will also um, create a lot of value in and for Bitcoin from uh, increasing and decentralizing the network from a security perspective around mining. When I look at this um, whole ESG BS that's being pushed, I see nothing but pure Bitcoin game theory coming into play again. And uh, the, the way I understand it, uh, this, this ESG kind of um, idea is going to be like social credit scoring for, for companies. And if you've got a good ESG um, kind of uh, narrative, I suppose, like you're seen to be a good company when it comes to um, carbon output, uh, then um, there's the whole carbon credit market, right? That this that this spills into, and uh, some companies are penalized, and some companies gain from from this ESG kind of good or bad boy sticker. Uh, is that like before we move on? Is that kind of the a, a good analogy of of how that works? I, I would say that uh, it it is a. I don't know if it's a comprehensive view, but I think, you know, in general, what happens is there's certain standards, there's certain, you know, they're bad standards are not actually, um, I always have to reiterate that ESG was something that was created by a marketing firm to help um, private equity funds and hedge funds and asset managers raise money. Mm-hmm. You know, they, those people don't actually care about the environment and social or whatever the other two things stand for. Um, but um, governance, I think. Governance, right, right, right. yeah. It's like by the by the end of social, I'm so disgusted yes. that uh, I've never bothered to to find or stick around to find out what the last one was. Um, guilty, um, environmental, social, guilty. Yeah. Um, but um, that that essentially these companies are rated, and it's not just oil and gas companies, but it you know, is certainly heavy on that because people think that energy production is bad for human beings. But at the Houston meetup, what we always um, try to, um, you know, throw red meat to the crowd is that we accept that human beings are good and that the production of energy helps human beings who are good. So um, the production of energy is not inconsistent with um, being conservationists and, um, you know, protecting the earth. But so it's a false equivalency. But to your point, yes, like there's a scoring system and then people score better or worse and that they basically use the system to coerce um, independent companies into uh, their political views, you know, not scientific views, but political views, like their feels. Um, and, And that what it ultimately means is that again, the financial system only exists way, this way because it's so centralized. Um, and that, you know, in many ways, I think about it as ESG broke the oil and gas industry. Like the oil and gas industry bent a knee. And it was because if I zoomed all the way out, you, you know the saying, he who has the gold makes the rules. Um, in the future, it will be he who, has, who, he who has the Bitcoin makes the rules. 
Um, but in this case, Wall Street has the money. And that the oil and gas industry, the energy industry, they needed Wall Street's financing. And they bent the knee um, and uh, caved to the will of, you know, suits. And the, um, the beautiful thing about Bitcoin is that um, the oil and gas guys are going to figure out that they have the money, right? Uh, and that the Bitcoiners have the money. Uh, and that the Bitcoin network has the best money. And so it's going to flip that script where um, he who has the money is going to make the rules. And it's actually going to be the people that have the assets that produce things that people in the real world needs. And every energy output, which is literally every single thing that we consume on a daily basis, uh, requires an energy input. And those energy inputs from, come from the ground. Uh, and they come from the people that own the mineral rights and the oil and gas operators. And, um, and that ESG will ultimately, be, it was only able to exist and, and to be coercive because of the nature of the financial system, but it was he who has to make the, the money and make the rules. And, uh, and that happened to be Wall Street. And they were dictating um, you know, bad policy, bad energy policy onto uh, you know, kind of the, the, the oil and gas and power businesses more broadly. And now I think that's reversing um, because the, the system isn't working so well. Uh, and it doesn't mean that it isn't extremely coercive. Like there's still a lot of that um, in, in that industry that I can see. I, I literally see it as like the Bitcoiners are showing up and being like, no, no, you like, you guys got to fight back. Um, and, and that the more that they understand about Bitcoin and the nature of its money um, that, that more people kind of come out of the matrix and realize that um, that ESG isn't in their interest and that there's an economic system that really, really needs its resources and is a uh, paying top Bitcoin too. So um, it, it, it is something that I think ultimately Bitcoin helps reverse and break ESG. Yeah, I love it. Uh, and I, I was just thinking about that uh, ConocoPhillips announcement and how it's going to help you guys be able to go to the um you know the, the the oil producers in houston and say look these guys are doing it and this is huge massive announcement you know social proof for you to kind of lean on and then i uh, kind of let my mind wander a little bit more it's like hang on a minute so these these carbon credits now a company like conoco or any one of these guys in houston that have to provide the data of the amount of carbon or methane that they're um producing into the air and then getting penalized for that's going to start showing up a lot less and so they won't get penalized and they may even be credited with carbon credits because they've managed to clean their game up and the only reason they've cleaned their game up is because they're mining bitcoin it's so beautiful it's the game theory of bitcoin that just switches everything completely upside down so well what i would say is it's like that you know kind of captures the idea that bit, like bitcoin is going to go capture every economic incentive mm -hmm. um and in this instance i would say though because i wouldn't want to um uh, let it off the hook which is the, the tax credits themselves don't make a lot of sense so in many ways it might be that there's a market for um for Bitcoin mining that might otherwise not be there if not for some arbitrary credit system, 
um, that ultimately creates inefficiencies in an economic system. Um, and it's like, it's ironic though, that it might be that it's the legacy financial system that provides cheap debt that allows for an economic reality where there might be all this gas that, that can't economically get to market that they would have to flare into the environment that like all that flare is probably, you know, not all of it, but just saying like, there's a lot of third, fourth order effects of, of cheap, uh, cheap money in the energy industry as well. Uh, but, but to say that, um, that yes, there is an economic incentive. There is energy that is being wasted and Bitcoin is going to capture it. Um, so it, it, you know, in that way, I, I wouldn't like to say, yes, Bitcoin is good for ESG. I would just rather say ESG is bullshit and Bitcoin miners are going to um, optimize to take care of market inefficiencies, even if even those ones created by ESG. Here's another one as well, Parker, which you've just made me realize is like, you know, what one of these uh, oil and gas companies, because Wall Street still thinks they own them and, you know, that they're providing them with the, the cheap finance and the cheap loans, which is their business. They're just going to roll out these loans to these companies whenever they ask for it, because in their eyes, they're a safe bet, AAA, you know, customer. They can, one of these companies could go, right, yeah, I need uh, $20 million. Okay, what for? Oh, to improve our ESG narrative and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, okay, fine. And take that $20 million from Wall Street, pile that straight into a huge mining operation on site. Yeah. Yeah, use the system against it. I, Absolutely. You know, I, I think the first oil and gas company to you know, pull the Michael Saylor card. Right. You know, um, to either borrow it's not so much to borrow but to just what MicroStrategy did initially they just converted their corporate balance sheet to bitcoin mm -hmm. that the first oil and gas company that does that is going to be able to go accumulate so many other assets because so, the first the first you know because it's not just oil and gas but it's it, it's a combination of oil and gas and power that that businesses from those two sectors not only will they figure out how to add more value than anybody is adding to the Bitcoin mining network today, because they have this very, um, you know, sophisticated skill set, which is how to extract energy resources cheaply, um, and, and then understanding the supply chain to get those resources to market and ultimately converted to, to power, uh, whether it's on a wellhead or via a grid. And um, but that the first companies that move that start operating on a Bitcoin standard they're going to have their purchasing power of their balance sheet go up so much. And they're going to be able to then monetize their in-place assets or just see, see the field so much better that they're going to be able to, to capitalize on Bitcoin mining. And then they're going to be able to go accumulate other assets extremely cheaply because they're going to have the form of money that everybody needs. And that um, what also will happen, I think, in Bitcoin is that um, cash flow, <laughs> Bitcoin will make cash flow great again. Uh, and that what everybody, you know, kind of was asleep at the wheel and, and, and just from the outside looking in, it feels like it has been true of the energy industry, um, which, which it's not just the energy industry, but everybody became dependent on, on cheap debt. And that when you become dependent on cheap debt, you are serving a master in another land and that land is often Wall Street. Uh, or New York City. And so, um, and it's not to say that's always the case that, you know, other, you know, states lend, but, um, but that, but that is why they have the power that they do. And that, that part of this exercise is going to be companies figuring out that, uh, that they don't need to 
be reliant or they need to change the way they operate such that they're not reliant on a financial intermediary, that they just need the best form of money and they need to shore up their balance sheet uh, and produce cash flows. And that that is you know, going to um, create a lot of benefit in the Bitcoin world as they figure that out, but that the ones that do it earliest are going to benefit. Um, it's not just benefit the most. It's like, obviously they will benefit the most, but it will be benefiting orders of magnitude by those that figure it out in the uh, second quartile. You ever see a, a future where like the dismantling of Wall Street just, you know, carries on when companies like, you know, MicroStrategy would be a perfect example right now. If you look, this has happened obviously in the past. If you look at GE, GE was one of the biggest engineering companies, but then all of a sudden, like their finance arm of their business was, you know, far bigger than almost uh, everything else of the company combined, I think. Like a company like MicroStrategy, could that become a finance company? Could that start taking over the role of a bank? I mean, have you thought about that at Unchained? I mean, MicroStrategy has a shit ton of Bitcoin. Right. Um, right. And I don't know what they're going to do with all that uh, in the future, but um, they're going to get to allocate that capital however they see fit. Now, I would say that, um, Michael, if you're listening, um, that what's going on with Canada, um, that I would want to be in control of my keys uh, as an institution. Um, because when I say that they're going to have all that capital to allocate you know, as they see fit, um, if they are actually in control of the Bitcoin. Um, and that, and so, you know, um, I think that that is a different discussion of finance and whether or not MicroStrategy becomes a financial institution. I doubt that they they would just, but you know, from afar, based on on seeing everything um, that Michael Saylor talks about, um, that they don't seem to be a um, you know looking to be a, a you know a VC firm for Bitcoin. Um, but that they will have a lot of monetary capital to fund investments. Uh, maybe they just dividend those Bitcoin uh, to their shareholders in the future. Um, but that's a capital allocation. And that's what the, that's what the CEO um, is, is in place to do is to, to figure out whether or not to invest in business lines, what businesses to be in um, to produce the most value for shareholders. Uh, and I would guess that, you know, just everything that I would see that, you know, MicroStrategy isn't going to become a bank, that they're in the software business um, and that there's going to be a lot of other ways to, um, to allocate capital in endeavors that aren't, uh, quote, finance or lending. Parker, you know, like yourself, I'm pretty sure Michael listens to every episode of The Once Bitten and streams via failed tin app. So, you know, perhaps if he doesn't, he's a fool. Yeah. In, in, the, in, the, in the kindest sense. Yes. But like you bring up a huge point uh, because of what's going on in Canada right now. And, you know, you, we've been begging the plebs for as long as, you know, we've been in this space and I've had this podcast to, to take control of your coins, uh, your keys, whatever you want to call it. Um, with a hardware wallet. Uh, and this is where Unchained come in, right? That's um, with, with your multi-sig or, it, it, well, let's go down that rabbit hole. If, I don't know what Sailor's doing with, with right now. Is it fully custodied with a third party? Is it multi-sigged up? I don't know. Is it the same with Bukele? What's going on there? Uh, do, do they own the keys or is that custody somewhere? Um, 
my understanding is neither Bukele or MicroStrategy control their own keys. I can't be 100% certain of that, but um, that is what it, what it seems to be. Um, so. So that's all, maybe it's spread across counterparties? Well, there was, again, I can't say this for sure, um, but I saw something online quote, I think it was on Twitter, um, where, where based on the address type, there were like 116,000 Bitcoin in a single key address. Um, now that does not mean, I mean, it means it's controlled by a single private key, but it's likely using some MP, like multi-party computation, or it's using sharding. Um, problem with uh, Shmir secret sharing is that um, that when you reconstitute the key that, that you actually reconstitute, reconstitute the private key on a single hardware device, whether that's an HSM or whatever it might be. And so I would, who, who knows, but it looks like based on the address, it's a single key and, and it's likely in one institution. Uh, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't want to speculate whether or not uh, MicroStrategy's Bitcoin are in the same institution as um as El Salvador's, but that my understanding at least is, and I could be wrong, but my understanding is both of both of those uh, institutions hold their Bitcoin with yeah, US financial institutions. You'd hope there's insurance at, at the very least in, in place. The only, the greatest as my, my boy, Phil um, Geiger says, the best insurance is private key ownership. Yes, of course. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that, again, anybody that is holding a material amount of Bitcoin that is seeing what's happening around the world, really, for the last two years, like, people didn't have their eyes open before Canada, like, Jesus, look at uh, Australia, you know, that if this, if this wasn't part of the logical endgame of people becoming increasingly... Um, disagreeable to the to the extent of full-on financial censorship and seizure that um that like you don't have your eyes open and on one of the podcasts that uh, uh, one of the early podcasts that michael saylor did with i believe it was safe dean uh the first one that he did was safe he talked about the experience of being in argentina uh, or having you know certain of their funds in argentina and then essentially the, you know, in dollars and then the bank saying, okay, you can no longer have those dollars here, or these pesos and, you know, essentially cut off the access, you know, their access. And it's like, okay, well, that same thing can happen here. And that it's not just that it can happen. It's that uh, that event is, is increasingly probable. And so I think that, you know, if you're a foreign country or, somebody holding a lot of Bitcoin that it's not only in your interest, it's in the institution's interest. You know, I, I would say not in the institution's financial interest, they wouldn't want that, but that uh, everybody is more secure in a world where more people are holding their own keys, particularly people that uh, have large vested interests and um, particularly nations that are doing something that is exposing um really the um the flaws of the legacy system like someone like bukele right like he's he's exposing it and that 
if your assets are in a U.S. financial institution, you are not sovereign, at least as it relates to that form of money. In the case of MicroStrategy, let's, let's stick there because that's onshore to you. Does Unchained offer a solution to, uh, you know, to Michael's conundrum? Whether, you know, just leave all of the Bitcoin with one custodial, I'm sure it's not on a, an exchange. Let, let, let's assume it's definitely not on an exchange. It's with a third party somewhere, I'm assuming. Um, does Unchained solve the, the whole problem or part of the problem? Uh, yes. I mean, we can. I think that the, that the challenge is that there is, because uh, also Michael Soto talked about this, I think that maybe his views have changed, but describing private keys as nitroglycerin and not wanting to, to put those in the hands of, a, um, of an employee. And I think the problem with that, which everyone and which he'll figure out, I believe over time is that, well, you're just trusting somebody else's employee with that same nitroglycerin uh, versus the people that actually work for you that are the people that you trust most. Um, and and that, that there are challenges that public companies will experience that, that, that private companies or uh, individuals won't face, which is a lot of CYA, that people that are actually in control of their own wealth are going to um, act and respond to first principles uh, more directly than people that have to um, kind of CYA themselves. Um, and and that what I mean by that is that it's easier for an individual to say, this is my Bitcoin and the best way to secure it is to hold my own keys. I'm going to do that. Uh, it's easier for a family office. This is my wealth. I am going to hold my own keys because it's the most secure solution and it's my wealth. I'm going to do that. Um, ultimately, uh, same of a private company that's closely held. Um, that has historically been where we've focused our time and energy because those are the people to most not only understand the benefit of having uh, censorship resistant and, and to be able to hold up our money that, that in, a, in a way that can't be seized, uh, and then also in a position to respond to those incentives. But a public company can do it too. Um, I think the challenge is that a public company um, is going to have to work through or the, the same things that someone like Michael Saylor would be concerned about, which is the financial control. Uh, how do we secure those keys? But MicroStrategy is a technology company uh, and every business is in the interest of preserving their balance sheet and their wealth. So um, that, that they will figure it out too, that those are solvable problems. So um, we have a number, uh, we, have, we have many businesses that, that use our platform. Um, I don't believe we have any public companies just yet. We might, uh, there might, but I'm not 100% sure, wouldn't disclose it, but, um, but that it is definitely more private companies, but they're acting from those first principles. And so I think that once the, 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 the public companies figure out that they don't have to rely on third-party institutions, that they will do that too, but they also have to solve different problems because there are uh, regulatory hurdles uh, and rules, and then they have to, um, because they're managing money on behalf of public shareholders, um, they, they need controls that might differ from um, an individual and control their own wealth. It's a tough one, isn't it? Because he, he, he has I mean, to play I mean, a certain honestly, game, what, right? What I, what I would do mm -hmm. is 
I would hold, I would, I would, I would solve that problem. Mm-hmm. That is a solvable problem. And your interest is, is massive to solve it. Um, mm-hmm. especially with everything that's going on. Um, ourselves as an example, you know, we, we are a service provider, but we're also a service provider to ourselves. We hold Bitcoin on our balance sheet uh, and we are in possession of the keys, uh, not me individually, um, but, but that, that our business is holding its own keys. And, and, and the alternative would be us like holding our Bitcoin with a Coinbase. Like that would be foreign. Like that would be like, what? Like NFW. How uh, does the business uh, hold its own keys? How is that? I mean, you obviously well, I'm not going to describe you, our, yeah. <laughs> no, no. I would just say we are this, the same system that our clients use, we use. Right. So our system is based on multi-sig. Not mm-hmm. every custodian is built on, on Bitcoin's native multi-sig, uh, even if it's a, 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 a quote, full custodian. Um, but every all the Bitcoin that is on our platform is is you know for our clients they hold their keys. Generally, they hold our clients hold two keys. We have one key, and two out of three are required to spend. Um, hmm. And and you know there's a lot of reasons why we've decided the design decision around two of three. Um, and we th- believe that you know for uh, virtually everyone that 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 approach and then with redundancies for each keys. Uh, and then controls of each keys that 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 is the best approach, but that we use that same uh, that that same platform where we're we're eating our own cooking, um, you know, we're putting our putting our money where our mouth is. Um, but it is tied back to that incentive, that that it is our incentive um, economically to be in control of our own Bitcoin, not entrust that with a third party. Uh, and that is that is how I think as an individual. I'm a user of the platform as an individual as well. Um, in that case, I control my own two keys, and an unchained has one. Um, but but that that same problem that exists for me as an individual and exists for Unchained as a company is the same problem, just at a larger scale um, for a company uh, called MicroStrategy. And so uh, there is a recognition that that those large public companies because they are public, because they do have shareholders, because they do have um, different regulatory hurdles and things to think about and incentives and shareholders, that they necessarily do have a, a different uh, calculus. But that, but even they, I believe, in the future, um, will look at this and say, you know what, I will be secure if more secure if my institution is holding the funds rather than some other institution. And, and that, that that is a uh, solvable problem and one for which the ex- incentive could not be greater to solve. So I believe it's something that they they do eventually, whether they work with Unchain or, or, or somebody else. Have you been down to El Salvador? I have not yet. Um, you know, with all the nonsense that's going on around the world, I try to get on a plane as infrequently as possible. Um, but I am interested in what's happening down there and, you know, uh, particularly just kind of the continuation. I think that everything that's been happening at Bitcoin Beach has kind of gotten overshadowed recently um, by uh, kind of what the country is doing. You know, I'm one of those people that's like, okay, you know, hey, everything we're seeing, you know, kind of it it is in Bitcoin, verify, don't trust. Um, But that what they seem to be doing, if, if nothing other than the precedent that they've set at the national level is really important. And one of those being that they just said the word Bitcoin. And that is something that all U.S. politicians, almost to a person, are too afraid to do. 
Um, and, and the reason is because they don't understand Bitcoin um, and they view it as potentially somehow tipping the scale. And I'm not, you know, kind of putting, you know, you know, a position that says, you know, Bitcoin's already won. It, it has, but that's not something that politicians need to understand. It's just that they don't understand Bitcoin. And so they've been unwilling to this point to say Bitcoin. They only say digital assets or blockchain based currency or whatever it might be. The only reason anybody would ever do that is if they, if they, you know, kind of, um, can't understand uh, kind of what Bitcoin is, or they, or or potentially they they just don't you know have enough um, you know kind of conviction to be able to say that. But one thing that that El Salvador did was they just said Bitcoin. It's very simple. You don't have to describe it in something that it isn't. Bitcoin is the thing that exists in the world, and it's important enough uh, to substantiate and protect. And that if you actually say the word like El Salvador did, then the legislation is actually much simpler. Um, and you don't get lumped in with a bunch of snake oil salesmen, but, um, but, but I do think while all of that's important, it is like, Hey, verify, don't trust, like, let's see how this plays out over time. Uh, but from everything that I can see, everything that's happening in Bitcoin beach, um, is a continuation and expansion of things that you saw coming out of there over the last few years. And I think that's really exciting, um, and really good to see. Yeah, it's, I can't wait to get down there. I've got nothing but admiration for Bitcoin Beach, Michael's been on the show before, Chimbera's been on, and you know what they're doing there at the grassroots level. Sure, it's great to have Naib come out and, you know, I gotta say he's he's on top of his trolling game. Oh, I mean, you know, I wasn't sure about him. And and truthfully, again, verify don't trust, um, but seeing good things is uh his troll game. Like, if you can be that kind of a troll, like you're almost and it's also true that um, like you're probably more genuine, you know, like you can't, you can't be a combination of that funny while also being that true and not have some kind of underlying genuine kind of interest uh, at heart. I can't get a read on whether he's got someone doing it for him or not, but it just seems too, it seems too genuine, too good. You know, I don't know. I mean, what we what, what I think we need to know is like his his orange pilling journey. Like no yeah. one has. I don't think I've actually heard that. Maybe if it's out there, I know he's done a bunch of podcasts. But like, well, what, he, he he refuses to face Lauren. He he doesn't have the balls for that. So you know, he's um, well, he's not been do. on. <laughs> few do okay. So let's <laughs> let's give let's give the man a break for a second. <laughs> All right. Um, it's a challenging thing. To, to face down that one it truly uh, is peter, peter mccormick like i mean that, yeah, he, he's eased like himself like a puppy, in. yeah you know? <laughs> um anybody would talk to that guy um but um but i but i do think um you know there's a story there right there's a story that is how did this person come to learn about Bitcoin? And that I think would explain a lot. Um, and I don't know, but I'd, I'd be interested. But I think also I saw some tweets that um, Max and Stacy had. I think they were down there for like a month. Um, Max and Stacy, Max Kaiser, Stacy Herbert. But they they said they talked to him for a couple hours and that he gets it. You know, and I you know again verify I don't trust, but I mean those people get it. Um, and and you know generally it takes one to. to to, to no one. Um, so it'd be interesting to know kind of what that path was and, you know, 
probably probably explains a lot or you know maybe maybe he doesn't get it but it seems genuine of, of, of you know when i when i've heard him talk or tweet things like that um that i i highly doubt that he's a sock puppet yeah i i highly doubt it as well there's been a few weird kind of um dictator film moments like weird videos coming out as well so yeah like what are they oh the the a couple of drug busts and and things like that you know like high res videos of you know showing him addressing the army and and stuff is on on like an empty beautifully tarmacked highway it it, it's just like weird hollywood stuff look let's all let's all be honest and that's why we have to you know can't just you know call call victory right um which is basically all governments are in the uh, business of propaganda Mm -hmm. and that's uh not just potentially about whatever that is coming out of el salvador but like um the united states does it too and it's on both sides like you know the most important thing um is that you can recognize propaganda even when it's when you're the the target of wanting to agree with it, um, you know, because uh, I can see it on both sides, you know, of the aisle, and it's like it's kind of like that med- meditative state of you. You have to observe yourself thinking, uh, and so it's like, okay, yeah, government's still government, and yep. you know, they didn't magically, you know, I don't know, government's given up less, you know. Did you do power, that before? Or has Bitcoin changed you and, and helped you, you know, pick up that skill of just being able to sit there and, and look at both sides of the propaganda? Um, I don't know, but like, I'll just say that I, you know, I'm not afraid to say it. I, I think, oh, fuck, maybe I don't want to get political, but um, I see propaganda on both sides. Let's just say that. Um, and, and so it's just propaganda. I don't know. Like, you know, I think I, it was probably more of like meditating and like, realizing that that idea of you can observe yourself thinking you know and that um have you been down that rabbit hole of meditating is that something you you have yeah what what took you down there i don't know um but yeah just tried it out got into yoga yeah i don't know do you do Uh, that like every day like 10 minutes a day like this is a it's uh i tell myself to do it 10 minutes a day, but I don't do it every day, <laughs> but regardless, you, you, I mean, you start to like one, one of the, one of the practices is you, you, you get, you're actually, you become more conscious of the own, own thoughts and that you mm-hmm. start to see how quickly, like, especially, you know, if you're, if you're tired or stressed out about things, how, how thoughts come and go. And that actually prevents you from being able to focus. One of the exercises is to actually observe yourself thinking mm-hmm. and then, then you can, you can let thoughts go. And, and be and be conscious of that um that you kind of like when you see propaganda you can both consume the content but then you can step out of it and be like oh yeah and that's propaganda like they're they're trying to gain some emotion and you know kind of be manipulative in some way to get you feeling some other way so i wouldn't i wouldn't say that it was bitcoin it was probably more meditation that you know but everyone, everyone literally needs to see that there, there's just straight up propaganda on all sides, yeah. and uh, that Joe Rogan is the only source of truth. <laughs> you tried, <it>. yeah. <laughs> I thought it was just Cinderella, but you know, uh, 
it's weird. You know, I've I've I tried to flesh this one out uh, because, yes, I've tried the meditation thing. And like everybody else probably listening that they might have tried the Headspace app or whatever else, you know, very entry level kind of stuff um, and do the 10 minutes a day. Loved it. Couldn't make a habit of it. Need to get back to it. Then I beat myself up over that. And that's obviously the complete reverse result of what, what you should be looking for. Um, and then like listening to um, a lot of John's work and I had John on the pod, uh, John Vallis, after his um, Bitcoin and religion piece. Uh, and, uh, you know, it keeps coming up in, in conversation uh, a lot recently. And it suddenly kind of dawned on me, and I, I fleshed this out with John and with Rob, if you're listening as well, uh, about um, how I see, like, you know, Bitcoin the network is is just pure Zen, right? It's just sitting there watching truths come across its, you know, eyes, for want of a better word, every second of every day it's not dwelling on the past it's not predicting the future it's just it just is it's just in the moment look i'll let those guys this guy's got a little bit more zen than me or what, what i don't know what the right term is but uh a meta you know not to negatively ascribe that terrible company but with like the you know just kind of uh philosophize um i do think i mean like if I, if I put it into my world view or vernacular, um, it, it is that because no money can be printed, um, no energy escapes the system, and that the only way that you can get value out of the Bitcoin network is by delivering value to it. Um, and that that you know, ultimately aligns all economic incentives. And when you get that, then there's a lot more peaceful shit that happens. Um, yes. that it really, you know, incentivizes cooperation rather than conflict. Um, but not necessarily conflict in a war sense of just like, uh, things that are in conflict with the network, um, or things that would be invalid within the network. And so, yeah, I think that there's a lot of positive externalities that come from that. And, you know, the, you know, maybe what you were talking about, the religion one being one of them. Mm. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I can't. I, I I'm just not getting dragged okay. down that religion hole. Uh, it's like yeah. you, you guys go for it. Well, I'm not. I'm not. No, I'm not saying I'm not. I'm. I'm just saying that like the you know. I think well, let's just say it this way that um, when people start questioning their you know start seeing and questioning assumptions, the most fundamental underlying economic assumption being money, mm-hmm. and seeing that everything they thought up until a point in time prior to Bitcoin was wrong or. Uh, was in opposition to something that or that um, that was consistent with their their own experiences, and that Bitcoin makes a lot of sense in this alternate world. Then they start questioning a lot of other assumptions, um, and so you know whether that be you know full on carnivore diets or you know kind of giving up uh, seed oils. Um, it's like people are more open to looking into it, and they're like, oh, yeah, maybe seed oil is not so good for me. Maybe um, you know, government recommended diabetes diet's not so good for me. I'll question assumptions and I'll also try, try other things, right? Because that's the other point. It's like not just being open to those ideas or, or open to questioning assumptions. Like if you, if you see Bitcoin it is going to make you question a whole lot of other shit um, or, and in questioning, it doesn't necessarily mean going along with a herd because a herd is, it means when you're getting a signal from somebody that might've helped you understand something that was very difficult to see, and they're sending you a new signal, there's like, 
maybe I should, you know, pay attention and, you know, dig down that rabbit hole a little bit. I'm not, might not come to the same conclusions on everything. Um, but I think it creates a lot of opportunities for um, ultimately that randomness to play out in, in different forms beyond, but beyond Bitcoin, one of them being religion. And, and the further you get pulled away from a fixed belief, the better, right? It, it doesn't matter if you go to that nth degree with that person that yeah. is, you know, but like having that fixed belief challenged, whatever it is, and then you moving just one step away from it and taking a, like a, another look at it is, is huge. And any of yeah. us that have been born post-1971, right? <laughs> I mean, seriously, everything. Yeah. Everything needs a relook. Everything does. Uh, the Bitcoin's going to reprice the world and we're going to figure out what people actually value. All right. How many minutes do you have? I, I didn't realize I do have a four o'clock. <laughs> okay. Hey, Lauren. Do you want to come and reschedule Parker's four o'clock for <laughs> If you had one orange pill left to give to somebody, who would you give it to and why? Oh, I think I said this on a podcast before, but um, maybe Michael Jordan. I don't know. Like, I grew up, I mean, grew up a Rockets fan. Akeem Olajuwon was my favorite player, but Jordan's like, I mean, he, those Bulls teams were like, I mean, the, all, the, the ultimate leader ultimate competitor um yeah that would just be fun that'd be awesome i i can't remember if you said so michael before, if you're out there mj yeah. not michael sailor um <laughs> if you need me i'm there for you crying it, it, crying it would have been, and all he should have had the number 21 jersey that would have been the best that would have been perfect all right, maybe Parker. So maybe Satoshi should have made or should have made yeah. twenty three million coins. You know, we, we we cannot have that discussion. Not not now. Uh, I'm talking about originally. Yeah, it's for, forever. Yeah, yeah, forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. We we'll have to do another rip. Satoshi because... obviously was not a Bulls fan. Clearly, clearly yeah. wasn't. But we'll have to do another rip because uh, I wanted to do um, a whole episode. We never got around to it. I want to do something like a pitch like Parker. Um, on the back of the uh, the speech that you gave at um, the the BitBlock Boom conference in Dallas, which I thought was brilliant, and everyone should go and check that out anywhere at YouTube. But we'll, well, we'll, we'll, we could we could do one just on that where we can talk about it and kind of have a dialogue about the yeah the best approaches. That'll be great because we all want to you know like uh, we want to move like Jagger, but we always you know we want to pitch like Parker as well. So that's. <laughs> so I, I, I think the presentation was called how to how to run a Bitcoin psyop. So yeah, you, everyone wants to psyop like me, and that's okay. Yeah, we definitely do. Uh, so we'll, we'll I, I'll be in your DMs to sort that one out. And I didn't get to, a chance to talk to you about ten thirty one, so we can uh, do that one uh, on the same show. Uh, okay. But how can people come and find you before we say goodnight? Uh, Unchained.com. If you need to, if your name is Michael Saylor and you need to take care of your Bitcoin, uh, you can schedule a consultation. <laughs> but uh, no, anybody, anybody who needs help securing their Bitcoin, um, unchained.com. Uh, my blog is there, uh, the Graduate and Suddenly series is under the resources. So all of my writing is on our website under resources, and it's the Graduate and Suddenly or GTS series. And then you can find me on line uh parker a lewis on twitter will you be at the conference 
I will be at Bitcoin 2022. Yes. Talking or just hanging with the plebs? I will give, I'll be giving some sort of talk. All right, um, cool. But I do not yet know what I'm talking about. All right. Well, Bitcoin. Um, but it will, be, it will be Bitcoin, presumably. <laughs> All right, Parker. Love it. Really appreciate you coming on again. And uh, like I said, I'll be in your DMs and we'll set up another one. Okay, great. Take care, man. See you. Bye. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you again, Parker, for coming on the show and facing down Lauren's questions. Sorry she wasn't 100% on top of her game today. Like I said, she had a little bit of a, a sore throat. She's all good, though. Um, we'll get you next time. Uh, uh, hopefully, we're already setting up uh, the next chat to talk about how to pitch like Parker and go through that talk that you delivered at the Bit Block Boom conference, which was such a, a great talk. So, looking forward to that one. For any of you plebs that want to reach out to Parker, make sure you follow him on Twitter, DM him, shoot him some banter, whatever it is that uh, that you want to do. Go read his Gradually Then Suddenly series. Go and check out Unchained Capital to see if that is a viable option for you, depending on where you live and uh, what you're looking to achieve. Brilliant Bitcoin-only company that have been around for a long time and have people like Parker within the team. Excellent company. Now, before we sign off, please make sure you are supporting the show sponsors. You know where to find them. All the links are in the show notes. You can find Bitcoin Reserve in there that are going to give you a white glove service if you want to tie on a nice big position, 50 grand or more. A perfect opportunity to help your boomer friends across the line and feel safe and comfortable within the realms of a professional team that are going to help them through even teaching them and perhaps even shipping them a hardware wallet. So give them a, give them a, a shout, bitcoinreserve.com. If you want to stack... In the US, you can use swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten. That will unlock a free $10 for you to start your stacking journey. And if you want to stack in the same way across Europe, you can use relay, R-E-L-A-I dot C-H forward slash bitten. They're always running different promos. Go and check them out. Listen to Julian and um, check out what, what's going on. He's been on the show a couple of times already. That's Julian Linegar. If you, win, if you uh, would prefer, excuse me, the exchange experience, coincorner.com have you covered. They are going to be able to help you fiat cost average out of your euros and sterling in uh, the UK and across Europe. You can set up auto buys, which I highly recommend you do. You also get an LN URL with them. So you've got your own lightning address in an email style. So you can receive sats from your friends and anybody else that's willing to send you sats in an email form. This is um, very cool stuff. It's the future and they've got more big announcements coming. But you've got to take control of your coins. You've heard Parker in this episode. Make sure you get a hardware wallet. You can use the Bitbox 02 Bitcoin only edition from shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten. That will save you 5% a discount. And if you can get across to the conference, make sure you go check it out. 6th and 9th of April. Use the code BITTEN at checkout or hit the link in the show notes to save yourself 10% on all of your tickets. Take care. Catch you on the next one.